Hey everyone, the reviews are coming in for our book, Death by Umbrella, The Hundred Weirdest Horror Movie Weapons. Scream Magazine called it really entertaining and often amusing, like a greatest hits album with just the good kills. We're so happy they like it, and we think you will too. Pick it up in paperback, e-format, or hardcover at Amazon.com or Barnes & Noble. On with the show. Top of the news this evening is speculation concerning the real facts behind the Department of Health announcement about a radioactive spill supposed to have occurred yesterday at the state nuclear plant. You know what you're thinking. Mine's bigger than yours, right? It's not fair. Throw it away. All right? Tons of popcorn there. Yeah. And all you gotta do is go climb a tree to go eat it. <laughs> it was a night like any other night. Then something happened. Oh, good lord. It's. It's unbelievable. It's. It's horrible. Welcome to the Really Awful Movies Podcast, a celebration of low-budget cinema. The sleep of reason gives birth to monsters. Hi, my name's Chris, and along with Jeff, we're bringing you the very best and worst of horror, sci-fi, post-apocalyptic wasteland, kung fu, and women in prison movies from the 1960s to today. Check us out at reallyawfulmovies.com, part of the Crypt TV family. Headquarters, here's episode 119, Werner Herzog's Nosferatu the Vampire. Vampire with a Y. Mm-hmm. Amazing, also, otherwise, amazing. Otherwise known as Nosferatu Phantom der Nacht. Yes, Phantom der Nacht. Yes. And uh, I had recently the pleasure of watching the original Max Schreck Nosferatu in its entirety. Yes, mm-hmm. and 
obviously it's public domain, so some idiot inserted some two-bit industrial music into the background, which I turned off and watched it in its original silent form. Yeah. And that was so evocative and such a pleasure and a wonder to behold that I was so excited to watch this 1979 retooling and mm-hmm. updating. How this movie came about is that uh, Werner Herzog has gone on record as saying that he feels the greatest German film of all time is the 1922 F.W. Murnau um, Nosferatu starring Max Trek. And, um, I mean, I, it's hard to, I, I can't say it's not hard to argue with him because, I mean, there's been some wonderful German movies, obviously, yeah. but it's, it's, a very, it's a very singular uh, creation. It's, it could be one of the, well, I, was, I don't know, is it one of the better sound films of all time? <laughs> I really like Metropolis 2. Yeah, for uh, sure. Caligari, but what have you. I mean, Nosferatu... Plug, check out our Caligari podcast. There you go. Yeah. <laughs> Nosferatu is amazing. And it's interesting because I went through, this was my first viewing of this movie. Yeah, likewise. In preparation for this podcast. And I went through, I, w- I call my Criterion Collection phase, where I discovered a video store downtown that was renting all the uh, movies that were released by the Criterion Collection, you know, the art house movies, that you could not find at your local blockbuster. So, uh, instead of renting the whatever shitty new release that they would have, like, you know, 100 copies of, Joel Schumacher's phone booth or what have you, <laughs> I was renting, like, I was, uh, for an entire summer, I was watching Igmar Bergman, I was watching Federico Fellini, I was watching, you know, your Akira Kurosawa's, and your Herzog's. And two of the films that struck me the most uh, from Herzog were Aguirre, The Wrath of God, and Fitzcarraldo, those both starring his best fiend, there was actually a documentary that came out, My Best Fiend, Klaus Kinski, the famously eccentric, <laughs> nutty, controversial, some would say insane, Klaus Kinski. Um, Herzog and Kinski had a very unique relationship. It's almost like Kinski was the De Niro to his Scorsese, except they motherfucking hated each other. They, they yeah, and, hated each other. And pulled a gun on. Yeah, yeah. I mean, there are rumors that, you know, hits were taken out and guns were pulled and so on and so forth, but... In researching uh, a little deeper for this movie and Herzog and whatnot, he was really one of the only directors that could direct the notoriously unstable Klaus Kinski. And even though Klaus Kinski hated Herzog, and who was it that pulled out the gun? Was it Herzog? I think, uh, well, I think it was Herzog on Kinski, yeah. which seems to be the, the way it would go. Yeah. Well, another quote regarding this movie, Nosferatu the Vampire. Uh, Lots and lots of rats in the movie, as we saw later on in the movie. There's, and uh, Herzog was quoted as saying that the rats were better behaved than Klaus Kinski on the set of Nosferatu the Vampire. I love how they imported them from next door neighboring Hungary as if, what, the domestic Romanian rats weren't too plentiful that they had to get them from somewhere else. And, and they dyed them white, too. Yes. Which was a source of a bit of controversy for. Well, they couldn't get lab rats? I don't know, man. Damn it, where can I find white rats? All I know so I, unique. When I was watching it, I was thinking back to the podcast, I think it was uh, Contamination, or... Yeah, indeed. And yep. we were talking about your, your hatred of white rats, and I was like, oh, Chris must be loving this one. Uh, I had to go into the U of T uh, mm-hmm. clinic and get yep. my shots right after that, after they, those bastards bit through a gardening glove wow. in, the, in the lab, yeah. Mm-hmm. So no love lost there, but uh, the beginning of this thing, I was just thinking, uh, when you want to compare it to the impact, I think much more diminished now that zombies have on me and it's a combination of just the way their aesthetic is and mm-hmm. just the innumerable films that I've put, been put through in the zombie subgenre and I was thinking when this thing begins with desiccated corpses and also the 
character of Nosferatu himself is so so cold and so deathly and that hero and, and, f- and yeah it, it affects me so time, much yeah. more than than yeah. the typical shuffling uh, zombie because he's more human yet mm-hmm. cold he's corpse like in a way that the undead isn't really dead to me mm-hmm. and well, that's really affected me it's interesting you brought up the opening uh, credits with those uh, desiccated I thought they were mummified were they mummified or desiccated oh, either way I think mummies are pretty desiccated yeah, so but, either, yeah, yeah it's semantics so, but holy but, crap that yeah. was really gross because this is not a graphic movie but mm-hmm. that opening um, scene with those credits, uh, that was that got under my skin. Like that totally set the tone for what was to come, and uh, being set to extremely evocative music, and you know that you're in. I mean, this is art house. This is art house territory. So this movie is it's melding two passions of mine that I really love, which is art house cinema and horror, into this amazing, absolutely incredible. Base or whatever you is a stew of some sort, and it's it, it brings the scares, but it also brings the beauty. It brings the, the 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 poignancy, the relevance, and it took a very interesting. I mean, in many ways, the plot beats are very similar to someone who had seen Nosferatu or Bram Stoker's. Um, well, not I mean the adaptation of Bram Stoker's Dracula, the official one, the Todd Browning version. But it takes a few interesting detours, which I really like. One thing that is unique is that when Nosferatu was made, at the time Bram Stoker's widow was still alive, and she wouldn't give the filmmakers uh, the rights to use the names of the characters to, 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 <laughs> oh, use, to, to use the name Count Dracula. So Morrow said, "Okay, instead of using Dracula, we'll create this feral rat beast, and we'll call him Nosferatu, which I believe means creature of the night." Or am I mistaken? No, I'm not sure. Uh, well, I will uh, look that up, and uh, either through mea culpa or at mm. the end of this podcast, <laughs> or just say whatever. It doesn't, uh, it doesn't, if it sounds vaguely Romanian or some uh, other Slavic language, it yeah. doesn't strike me as anything German. But so, so they changed certain characters' names and mm-hmm. whatnot, but the plot beats were the same. When um, Herzog made this movie, he was making it as an homage to Nosferatu, but by that time, Bram Stoker's Dracula. The, the, the novel had fallen into public domain. And so many times in the movie, I think more times than not, they refer to him as Dracula as opposed to Nosferatu. So despite the fact he's, retur- he's referred to as Dracula, his look is 100% Shrek, Murnau, etc. Mm-hmm. And the look of the movie. Um, this movie is it's, 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 it's gorgeous. The cinematography, the pacing, the music, everything about it is just so... Wonderful. I mean, I, I don't know how to, how to describe it other than to say, like, I mean, it's aesthetically just yeah, it's beautiful, s- stunning, beautiful. stunding. To, to quote Gordon Ramsay, you know, talking about his favorite yeah. steak, uh, f- you know, freak dish or whatever. But yeah, it's uh, just a beautiful, beautiful movie. Beautiful. And even shades of uh, I hate to keep bringing it up, but yeah. you know, Kafka's The Castle, because when you talk about this assignment that this real estate agent has to visit this this uh, castle of, of Nosferatu, the, the Count, mm-hmm. uh, people talk about it in different tones, and some even question its very existence. So you have this nebulous yeah. assignment that this guy has. Well, that was one thing in this movie that was unique, in the sense that there was a bit of ambiguity as to whether the castle 
physically existed, or mm-hmm. whether it was some sort of error. If it, if or as a manifestation of his nightmares, or, or if it existed what? on a different plane of existence, yeah. or our existence, or whatnot. Um, they referred to the castle as old and crumbling. This is the townsfolk in the village, like yeah. the remaining village, but then the castle itself looked, you know, it looked good. Um, Renfield was different, you know, and Renfield was the one that gave Jonathan Harper the assignment. Mm. Renfield was. Um, we got to talk about the actor that played Renfield. His name is, is escaping me right now, but what a, what a depiction. I mean, he, in the Browning version, he was played indelibly by, by Dwight Fry, but, I mean, that giggle? Hmm. That giggle? I mean... Well, I, I thought you were referring to the uh, assistant and the manservant of of uh, the Count as well. Well, he, does, he ends up becoming the assistant. Oh, uh-huh, okay, yeah. Who's uh, a, a very Joker-esque character, yeah. uh, decked out in purple, and he 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 I don't oh hope I'm God. doing it justice, but that, what, a, what an odd... <laughs> yeah, a conceit that was. And I love also how this plays into, uh, I think, a currently extant uh, perception that Germans have of Slavic people. Uh, when you have this, it's the European version of the urban versus the other, and you have this sophisticate from near Hamburg in mm-hmm. whatever town it's supposed to be, Wismar or whatever Vis- it is. Vismarker, yeah. Yeah, and, and this guy has to go to the, the backwoods of... Romania, Transylvania, which is, as he says, I think the people still believe in ghosts and ghosts wolves, wolves run around. Yeah, and this yeah. is, uh, people still have, for better or for worse, and some of it's accurate, a perception that Romania is a little bit less than developed, to put it as terribly as possible. It's a little bit, you know, it's up and coming, but again, this this tension is brought to fore, and it's interesting. You do, you do know I'm half Romanian, right? Uh, I do know <laughs> that. <laughs> yeah. But yeah, the difference of like Bucharest versus like Berlin, it's it's really yeah, quite indeed. telling. Yeah. But this this is interesting, and it's just their take on the urban-rural divide. It's not Romania per se. Mm-hmm. It's more the the outskirts and the backwoods, not the big cities. So and this happens within countries, inter-country. It's, you know, we have these regions here. Mm-hmm. Love that stuff. Right. So, I mean, just like uh, Browning's Dracula, we have uh, Jonathan Harker, who is sent uh, to go to... Um, Transylvania. Yeah, in the castle of Dracula, in order to do a real estate deal. <laughs> and um, he has a lovely young fiancé by the name of Lucy, and he leaves her. And this is this was also repeated in uh, Francis Ford Coppola's adaptation as well. Mm-hmm. Gary Oldman playing uh, the Count, and he's got a fiance he leaves behind, and he goes up there, and despite many warnings along the way, <laughs> yes, and, uh, the, the local tavern being my favorite. Uh, oh, that was wonderful. <laughs> that was wonderful. When he uh, mentions that he's uh, going to uh, meet Count Dracula, and the entire population of this tavern all turned him in unison. Yeah, and the plate shatters, and it's, yeah. just, it's just so great. You can cut the tension with a knife. Yeah, yeah, yeah. and they're like they're, they're spraying holy water on him, and they're it just you know, and no coach person wants to take him. Mm-hmm. He goes up to a coach uh, man and says, uh, "May I, may I use your coach? Can you not see? I do not have a coach." He's staying right from his coat. Yeah. <laughs> and I wore a horse. Can you not see? I do not have a horse. Um, so he, he hoofs it. He walks it. Now, he is met by a coach, eventually, that takes him to the castle. And in other adaptations, uh, sometimes it's Dracula himself riding the coach. But in this hmm. one, it's actually not. It's it's uh, so We don't know. I mean, it's really not explained as to whether or not this is... Um, one of his minions. I mean, because the thing with this Dracula, and again, this could all be in his imagination, but this Dracula, I mean, I got, okay, so now I have to talk a bit about um, Todd Browning's 1930 adaptation of 
Dracula is usually depicted as debonair, yes, suave, mm. handsome, continental, worldly, yeah, worldly, yeah, etc. This Dracula, I mean, and, and, and also Murnau's Nostradamus as well, could not be farther from that depiction. There is nothing, and a lot of times Dracula is used as subtext for eroticism. Mm -hmm. There is nothing <laughs> erotic about no. this Dracula played by Klaus Kinski. This, from the moment you meet him, and it's, it's such a wonderful introduction, because as soon as he goes to the, um, as soon as the coachman drops him off, the door's open, there's Dracula. Very different than in Browning's version, where he goes into the, uh, the castle, there's a nice spread laid out for him, and then Bela Lugosi walks down the steps and goes, I bid you welcome, and all yeah, that. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> you know, his debonair cape and his wonderful Hungarian yeah. accent. No, this is just Klaus Kinski. Although they do have a pretty nice spread. He, he does eat well. Wasn't it like, like a live rooster? Like, yeah. Some sort of, yeah. Yeah. He did eat well, but I mean, this Dracula, this Nosferatu, was, well... It's almost almost uh, iguana like, like lizard like, with these claws this and just yeah. his talons, almost like a, a, a raptor. Yeah. It's really disturbing. And of course, he's got those two fangs that are sort of like in the middle of his mouth, which are very rat like. He's yes. pale faced, sunken eyed. He's very weird, pointy ears. And but what I what was very um, striking for me with Kinski's Nosferatu as opposed to Shrek's was I did not see malevolence in his eyes. What I saw was sadness. Mm -hmm. uh, what I saw was um, desperation. This was a, a pitiful Dracula. This yeah, was it was like he was shunted away to a mm -hmm. long-term care facility or something. Indeed. He seemed very, very sad and lonely. Mm -hmm. This was a Dracula that looked on uh, eternal life as a curse. Across from a bit. Well, as it would be if you looked like that. Well, maybe, that like, maybe it looked like Johnny Depp or something, huh? Yeah. I mean, <laughs> later on in the movie, he talks about his loneliness. He says, you know, the absence of love is the most abject pain. I mean, because he, you know, he's going through life while everyone else is dying around him, and he has no love. He's lonely as can be. And he's just happy to take in this wayward traveler uh, mm -hmm. from, from far off, saying, The night is cold, and you must be tired and hungry. I hope I'm doing that right. I don't know, but he welcomes him in, and uh, he he forces himself on him very quickly in oh, a yeah. great scene where he almost he walks him into a nearby, I guess, some sort of stool, and they have this interaction right off the bat where he's he's getting into his personal space, a la Seinfeld's close talker, mm -hmm. and it was really really amazing how they brought the two together, and, it, and it's it's uh, compounded by the, the sheer creepiness of Kinski's performance as a Nosferatu, you know, I don't mm -hmm. want that, that thing in my personal space, you know, <laughs> <laughs> smelling its, uh, you know, 2,000 year old decayed breath, <laughs> and, you know, but we have to also mention that Jonathan Harker uh, was played by the wonderful Bruno, Bruno Gans, Gans, who yeah. is a, a, an amazing actor, a uh, German actor, uh, who, I mean... Was appeared in roles as diverse as the angel in Wim Wenders' Wings, Wings of Desire, Desire yeah. to Adolf Hitler in Downfall, mm -hmm. which detailed the last season of Hitler in the Bunker. Bruno Ganz is a phenomenal actor. He acquitted himself oh, wonderfully yeah. in this movie. And his fiancée, Lucy, is played by the, the, the very stunning and talented... And still, at age, she must be in her 60s, Isabella Johnny from... Mm -hmm. Possession well, is one. and uh, The Tenant. Yeah. Well, Ishtar, I think she was into. I don't know, unfortunately. But yeah, again, just a striking, uh, vacant, almost Fulci-esque uh, star where you can just write anything into mm -hmm. her face. She's just a blank beauty, and she's terrific, too. 
the glockenspiel is just terrific, like incredibly creepy. Well, the, the whole the whole place, like, it, well, speaking of Italian films, a lot of the stuff is soundstaged, so you don't get the same evocative, just coldness of this castle. Like I felt, it gave me the shivers. Mm-hmm. This guy's place, it was it was dank and really dark and really, really evocative. Oh yeah, and I mean, the um, aesthetics of the place. Uh, very complimentary to the, you know the, the the internal I'd say turmoil of Dracula. Again, this movie depicts vampirism as an isolating, uh, never-ending curse. It's this Dracula is a mournful, sorrowful figure. Ultimately, he wants to go to Bismarck so as to maybe start life anew. Get out of the bats in the belfry of hell, and maybe yeah. maybe get himself a nice condo well, what, in what northern Germany. Why not? Look at those incredible shots of the slow motion bat. The clothes. Oh, oh yeah. Wow. And there's an incredibly beautiful shot where Dracula, Nosferatu, is walking down what appears to be a really long tunnel, and all of a sudden, boom! He's standing at Jonathan's threshold. And he slowly approaches, and then, like a feral beast, he just attacks. Mm. And he takes a chomp, and he bites. So now Jonathan, of course, is uh, and is, is afflicted with the curse of vampirism, uh, you know, which he at first attributes to nightmares. Again, this is mm-hmm. the same thing with the Kafka's The Castle, where he just keeps waking up and then attributing it to a, a bad dream. And only after, I guess, several times does he finally get it that he's being. I don't know, uh, pulled into this web. Mm-hmm. Now, at the same time, back home in Bismarck, uh, Mina, is, sorry, Mina, I, I, that's, Mina, that's Lucy's friend, and it's interesting because they changed the names from the novel, Mina and Lucy, the, the, the roles were interchanged. Lucy, um, she wakes up with a start, she, she becomes feverish, like she feels that something's happening. You know, there's no um, postal service between them. No, no I, th- I think it took, what, uh, weeks and weeks of four his, weeks four weeks for his journey across uh, Europe. And that, that can also... Um, Lend credence to the theory that this was on a, this was in another plane whatsoever. This castle of Dracula. So he's keeping a diary, but Lucy's at home pining for her lost lover. Meanwhile, who's heading to Bismarck? Guess who's coming to dinner? Mm. <laughs> Count Dracula and this incredible overhead shot of him loading up these coffins, <laughs> the coffins yeah. into uh, a coach and taking them onto a raft later on and then going onto a boat yeah, right. and making his way to Bismarck. Across the Caspian Sea, wherever he's yep. going, and just in the dark, churning waters. Mm-hmm, and th- this mm-hmm. is my absolute, absolute favorite scene when the ship arrives in northern Germany. And this is, And the, one of the crewmen is tied up around the wheel of the ship in ropes, and he's dead and the entire crew has passed away and they're attributing it to the plague but this this ship slowly drifts into port mm-hmm. and this guy is slumped over the wheel that well, just gave me the, just the willies so that was, was unbelievable it was bizarre because I mean it did drift into port but before that we see it navigating this is a large ship it's navigating mm-hmm. its way through these canals and it's so big it's too mm-hmm. big to go through canals and yet so incongruous but wonderful and yes, eventually when it does. Um, yeah, I'm trying to think of the route it took. Did it go around Portugal? <laughs> like it's a long way. <laughs> Where is it going? Like anyway, yeah. when it does not up the Danube or yeah. whatever. And uh, all you know, there, there's not a soul alive on board, oh. but just hunters upon hunters of rats that are soon to overtake the town of Bismarck. And these rats, you know, they yeah, as you said before, they attribute it to the plague. Before we all, um, get back to Bismarck, there's also that wonderful scene where. 
Jonathan, because there's that repeated shot of that of boy a child playing, playing in a sort of an off-tuned off violin. That, that mournful violin, mm -hmm. and yeah, and it's, again, like, you have to question, like, is this child real? What's the child doing? Or is mm -hmm. it Castle Dracula playing yeah. violin, or is it just some sort of figment of Jonathan's imagination? Ultimately, Jonathan makes his way to Bismarck, and... A shell of his former self. Shell, at he, least. Doesn't, he doesn't even recognize <laughs> yeah. Lucy. Yeah, she's so. She's. Oh my God, Jonathan, you're back. And, and he's, he's got. He's got. He's feverish. He's yeah. just shivering. And he's. They've got an overcoat on him, yeah. and he's just and, a complete, says, sweaty mess. And he says, "Who is this woman?" Meanwhile, the quote-unquote plague is overtaking Bismarck, and people are basically preparing for the end of days. And this is because of the presence of Dracula. Now. Lucy seems to be the only rational person. She knows what's going on. Then this is another thing that this movie has going for it that's so different than any other depiction of Dracula, and that is Van Helsing. In every depiction, Van Helsing is a believer. He's a sometimes he studies uh, the occult, vampirism. He's a man of action, as Pierre Cushing played him in the Hammer Yeah, films. the complete opposite here. Yeah, he's a, he's, a, he's a complete skeptic. He's a man of science. He won't let go of that. And he basically is inconsequential. The agency is given to Lucy. Mm -hmm. She realizes that she is the one that's going to have to combat this threat. She also realizes that Jonathan is turning and in an incredible piece of imagination. Because in mean, Herzog, I mean, this is an auteur. He wrote, he directed, he... Produce. I mean, it, Jonathan's sitting in the corner and pale face and sweaty, and he's turning, and she takes the host, the Eucharist, yes, and, and, and crumbles and around his feet. Yeah, so he can't, he can't <laughs> escape. And then she takes it upon herself to vanquish uh, Dracula, and uh, it's a very interesting what she does. And I'm not, I don't want to spoil too much of this movie because I really think that uh, it, this movie needs to be seen. But beyond um, Dracula and the tale of... I mean, like I said before, a lot of it is very similar, but there's just enough differences to make it feel fresh. Um, but then when you have the sheer virtuosic uh, ability of Herzog, and some of these compositions um, are, are just almost too beautiful for the eye to comprehend. Mm -hmm. And then Kinski's performance as Dracula, and he is... You cannot help but pity this creature. He's a rat. He is a sewer rat. He's lost. He's lonely. He's pathetic. There is nothing but sadness in his eyes. Yes, he's fearful and dangerous. We're not going to get away from him. But he is not Bela Lugosi in the cape. He is not Gary Oldman in the wonderful top hat and, you know, debonair suit, mm. you know. Of course, Gary Oldman, you know, there's points where he does transfer to his real self and he's old and decrepit looking, but I've never seen a Dracula like this as Kinski portrays him. It's it's just as far as, and even, uh, I don't want to spoil it, but at the end when he's vanquished and it's so unceremonious, he's just lying there yeah. in the corner of the frame, just like forgotten. It's, wow, it just... I, I don't know. I'm almost at a loss for words. Because sometimes when I see things that are so beautiful, it's funny because when I was um, in university, I, um, I was a philosophy major, and I studied uh, the philosophy of aesthetics. And we talked about things like the Stenhall Syndrome, you know? And I get that when I go to museums. Mm -hmm. 
which is picked up on, I guess, a film of Argento's. Argento's. Yeah. yeah, the same name, I mm-hmm. think. Yeah. yeah, the Stendhal syndrome is when you see something so mm-hmm. beautiful piece of art and you feel physically overwhelmed because it... Um, it delights the senses. And yeah. So, and here in, in, on so many levels because there's also the incredibly passionate and and soulful Gounod and Wagner, so the former best known for his take on the ubiquitous Bach Ave Maria, which, again, if they had put a moratorium on that for movies, I'd be happy, but still, his, his music just sets this off so beautifully as well. Yeah, even even a guy like Roger Ebert, notoriously hard as he was on the horror genre, gave this thing four stars, said it's just an impeccable piece of cinematography, that and gave credit to Herzog for for where he said wasn't given enough credit for his vision. And mm-hmm. This this was a singular one. Yeah, um, just an incredible piece of art. And I mean, and the other thing when I was talking about the uh, course I took with um, philosophy of aesthetics, and I learned the difference between beautiful and sublime. And the true definition of sublime is something that is so um, that. It's, but oftentimes we say, oh, that's sublime. We say, oh, that's wonderful, right? But what sublime really means is that it's almost too painful to bear that it becomes beautiful. You know mm-hmm. what I mean? And as far as I'm concerned, this film is both beautiful and sublime. And just amazing. Amazing, amazing. You know, there have been so many adaptations of Dracula. And I'm talking, uh, you know, besides the most famous ones, like, you know, your, your Murnau's, your um, Brownings, your uh, Coppola's, there have been like like things like Twilight, or there's uh, I I've not seen it. A lot of people credit this as oh, and of course the Hammer, uh, Christopher Lee, but mm-hmm. I've never seen. But uh, Frank Langella played uh, um, the Count in a '70s, I believe it was a TV movie, perhaps. Not seen it, but I would imagine he would do justice for a terrific mm-hmm. actor. But again, like with the exception of Murnau's Nosferatu, Dracula was always depicted as erotic, virile figure, you know? <laughs> yeah. Oftentimes he's got a harem of beautiful women around him. There's the, there was the wonderful Monica Bellucci who ravaged uh, Keanu Reeves. In, yeah, uh, or, or men as well, if you want to look at the Lestat version of that as well. Like, he, he was a I've, sexual, seen, a um, sexual yeah. figure. Oh, don't bother, but... <laughs> anyway, and... Right, right, yeah. I, I was... I, I want to say I was very inspired by this. I texted my girlfriend, and I said, next vacation, uh, she's part Romanian uh, background. I said, we're going on a Romanian Vlad the Impaler castle tour. And she says, Romania is depressing. I said, okay, fine. I never said that. You know, you can say it, you know, but I I would love to because he's such an interesting historical figure who comes with so much baggage himself. He was a 15th century, you know, head of the Dracula family who was notoriously... Yeah, he notoriously strung up bodies in the forest to strike fear into the hearts of the marauding Ottoman Empire mm-hmm. warriors. And what an interesting guy. Tales of his exploits spread to Germany. And this guy, like his mustache, everything about him, just, I think, just... The cap. Like, oh, he's he's sinister. And yeah. I would love to know how much of that is fact and fiction. And uh, I want to go to Romania desperately to see how this came about. Yeah, and I, I'm... I'm 
I'm, I'm half just, Romanian, half Hungarian. I've been to Budapest a couple of times. I've yet to make me a too. Yeah. The first time I went to to Europe, I uh, we went to Budapest. We needed a special visa in order to go to Romania at that point. We hadn't acquired it. I couldn't do it. Yeah, uh, the time ran out. I couldn't leave Hungary for there too. The second time I was in Budapest, we wanted to do a day trip to Transylvania, but we we, we found out it was logistically impossible. But oh. I will definitely be going to Transylvania. Maybe it'll just have to be us. You <laughs> know, yeah. leave the female folk behind and just to, you know take it in because this yeah. there's so much going on. Yeah. So yeah, so th- I mean, this is just a wonderful piece of art. It's a wonderful piece of cinema. It's also it's a wonderful horror film. I mean, it's 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 creepy as fuck. Mm-hmm. Um, so I, I really don't know what more to say about this except to give it uh, one of the highest ratings I can give. Uh, almost near five stars, as far as I'm concerned. Maybe four and three quarters. Okay, it was incredible. Um, how about you? Uh, four for me, and we'll segue again because we're you can't. It's not like we're going to come to loggerheads over this thing. It's mm. just oh my god! If, if you, uh, what can, more can be said other than it, it, this may be a little prosaic what I learned, and this mm. little I don't want to detract from the art of this thing, but some of the villagers. They're <laughs> very Borat-inspired. Some of these, they come out of the woodwork. It's like, oh, the guy from the big city coming by on his mm-hmm. horse, and they surround the, you know, uh, Jonathan as he rides into town. And I found that was quite hilarious. Well, don't and forget. toward the end, too, mm-hmm. the humor involved, too, which There's I don't want to give it away. Yeah, yeah. Uh, because the denouement is really... It's quite, quite funny, actually. Mm-hmm. Yeah, you're right. And also, when, you know, when, when, they, when they feel that Bismarck is succumbing to the plague and it's the end of days, I mean, there was some pretty unique stuff. There was... Uh, um, resident that was dancing with a goat and like just very yeah and pigs walking into the center square right. randomly and just end times were clearly uh, near nigh yeah. if you will <laughs> yeah and you know when i talk about you know going through that criterion collection phase i mean those filmmakers that were sort of like the vanguards of criterion like you know your uh, your um fellini's your um bergman well the bergman is still with us right i'm not sure but i mean fellini is no longer with us Kurosawa is no longer with us but Herzog is still going strong, more so now as a documentarian than as a, um, you know, as a narrative filmmaker. But I mean, he's made some incredible documentaries. Um, there was one he made, and the title escapes me now, but it had to do with these cave paintings in uh, in France, in southern in France. France. Mm. Yeah, um, Cave of Forgotten Dreams, perhaps. I don't know. I don't recall. I do have the movie. He actually mm. shot it in three D, and I have a three D Blu Ray. It's amazing. He's an incredible, incredible filmmaker. Uh, Kinski's no longer with us. His family is, and they've taken on the uh, family business, even if they were, you know, there was a lot of acrimony given the revelations that we later heard about a la Jimmy Saville and Polanski that really soured and tarnished the man's image. And I was even reading in the uh, article in the Belfast newspaper about... Uh, examining art when it's charged with the allegations, I guess unproven, but really sinister, mm-hmm. awful allegations that surround the, Mr. Kinski's conduct as a young father. And mm-hmm. whoa, yep. it's, that didn't affect me because I actually read that afterward while researching for the thing, but it would have charged this with a lot more meaning as well with him as a menacing figure. And mm-hmm. my God. Well, just as an aside, over the, this past weekend, uh, there was a. a gigantic flea market at one of our most popular parks here in the city, uh, Trinity Bellwoods, and, you know, myself as a collector of vinyl, I mean, oh my god, it was, uh, there was so much there, and I managed to score for three bucks a, a copy of the soundtrack of Paul Schrader's version of Cat People, which starred Nastasia Kinski, 
And that soundtrack, which is composed by Georgia Moroder, but it also has one song with lyrics, that being uh, Putting Out the Fire with Gasoline by David Bowie that was used in Inglorious Bastards. That was a score for you. So, well, yeah. So, and this will be a score for you to see it. So we urge all our listeners to check this thing out. You owe it to yourself uh, if you appreciate uh, the vast legacy that horror has given us exactly. from and, the turn of the last century to now. And, and yeah, I mean, you know, again, like I'm just going to go off on a, a bit of an aside here, but horror is such an expansive genre, you know? It's more than just your slashers. It's more than just, you know, your your monster movies. Well, this is a monster movie, but I'm, but horror can encompass art house movies, art films, and this is an art film, and it's a horror film. So, for somebody that maybe says, I don't, I don't like arty movies, watch this movie. Mm-hmm. Just watch this movie, and I think you will enjoy it. And check out our podcast, too, which mm-hmm. we hope you will enjoy every weekend. And our website, associated website, www.reallyawfulmovies.com. And we'll talk to you soon. Take care.